1: Bucket Rates Barrels presented by Tops. Check out Tops Project 70. Celebrating 70 years of Tops baseball cards. Derek Van Riper here with Eno Saris with you on this Friday. The second half of the season getting underway later today. It was supposed to start on Thursday. We'll talk about why that didn't happen in just a few minutes. We'll discuss a trade. Jock Peterson is now in Atlanta. There's a story that Ken Rosenthal wrote for The Athletic about the Twins attempting to extend Byron Buxton. And should those efforts fail... They are strongly considering trading him. So kind of at a crossroads with him in that organization right now. And we'll talk about a few other uh, All-Star Week-related questions and really interesting question about Tyler Malley as well. So tons to get to on this episode. You know, Let's start with that trade. Jock Peterson goes to Atlanta. It's an Atlanta team that I thought might be stuck In sell mode last time we spoke, just because of the injury to Ronald Acuna Jr. prior to the All-Star break. Simple one-for-one trade. Bryce Ball goes to the Cubs as part of the return. I think this is the beginning of the Cubs spinning off some players. Probably more trades to come from them in these next few weeks. Let's focus on Peterson for a moment. The overall numbers this year are a tick below what we're accustomed to. But this looks like a pretty low-risk sort of move for Atlanta to bolster the offense. And if the next two weeks go really poorly, they have a guy that would probably be of interest to some other contending clubs if they decide they fall too far out of the race in the NL East.
2: Yeah, for some reason, I don't buy that aspect of it as much because um, we already saw the return for Jock Peterson and it wasn't great. Um, There's also this mutual option that's on the table. so. Um, I could see this actually being uh, one of those things where they bought him as much for the beginning of next year as for the end of this year. You want to have as much outfield depth as possible with a guy coming off of uh, ACL surgery, so that much like Tommy John, you can give him as much time as possible. You know, you just don't don't want to push it, don't want to uh, put Acuna on the on the field before you have to. So I think uh, I would assume that even if they don't make it. Uh, I don't see them buying anymore, but I also don't see them selling. I see them sort of holding on. They're only four games out, trying to make a, a run at it, even without Acuna. And then uh, just being cool with wherever the chips fall. I hadn't noticed this, but um, Alex Anthopoulos has six straight postseason appearances as a GM. Probably the longest. Or as a front office
1: executive. The longest active streak outside of the Dodgers front office.
2: I mean something like that. Hmm. Not bad. I mean the Red Sox didn't make it a couple times. The Yankees, they had a break a few years ago. Time is a flat circle. The year that they sold Chap the, the year they sold Chapman and Miller, right? Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's pretty impressive. So, I mean maybe maybe he'll do another small buy or something. Um but uh I don't uh I don't I just don't see them like turning around like Turning on selling, that, that means that you're just going to get something worse than Bryce Ball. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Which, hey, Ball might turn out into something. He's a massive man uh, who has massive raw power, 70 on fan graphs, but also uh, 80 in our hearts. But um, the, the problem is that uh, he hasn't really turned that into game power this year. And uh, he is also just a, such a big lefty that he's he's got nowhere to go but dh uh in terms of going down the defensive spectrum so um a lot of pressure on those types like imagine if you had cj Krohn for se- sale right which is like you know he's right-handed it's not a perfect compliment not not the perfect you know one to one thing but cj Krohn is also just like a, a first baseman that hits okay um and he's established himself right You wouldn't get that much for CJ Krohn.
1: No, you absolutely would not, given some of the limitations. You wouldn't even
2: get that much for CJ Krohn if he had five more years of team control left. You know what I mean? Like It's just not a a player that's valued by the market right now in baseball. So um, I just assume that they'll hold on to Jock and that uh, they may even exercise the option because against left-handers, Jock Peterson is a perfectly cromulent player.
1: Yeah, I think we're going to see some pretty unusual things at this deadline. We're going to see some players that have struggled all season in the minors at various levels. They're going to get moved because there's some buying opportunities out there. And then we're going to see second halves that are quite a bit better than first halves that might just be players finally knocking the rust off and being comfortable in game situations again. And when we look back a few years from now, we might find trades, maybe not this trade necessarily, it might not be Bryce Ball but we're going to look back at some trades and go wow i can't believe they got this guy in this trade.
2: Yeah and it, th- that's a really good it's a smart thing to say because like you know i think that when when we had these trades of like Chapman for Glybert Torres even at the time Glybert Torres was pretty good right so even at the time people were like okay wow they really want the championship sort of deal right uh, Cease and um Cease like people Cease was very well regarded as a prospect and what was it Cease and Eloy for uh Quintana Yes. That, like, at the time, that was already, like, woo, Eloy's a good a good, a good hitter, a good prospect. I think this, yeah, this year we're going to have, like, names we're like, who? Uh, but then maybe five, six years from now, like, whoa, that was actually a pretty good get. And I think, you know, just the the, the 2020 lack of minor league season is, is the source of that. And I, I tried to talk to some of the prospects at the Futures game about this, like, what did you do? And they did admit that fa- facing the same people over and over again, um was maybe sub sub ideal, but one thing that I'd never thought of before, it really gets you comfortable with one pitcher, right? Like it almost could be a good thing because then you really start to like you like I think it was Alec Thomas who's who's like a outfielder who's got who's playing really well for the Diamondbacks. He was telling me like you could you could see like you could start to see what pitchers were trying to do to you. Like you could really see it. Like you could really be like like following along because you're like, oh, I've been facing this guy. <laughs> like, I know he likes to do this and then this and then this. And there's to like, yes, you'd rather see a lot of different pitchers and be able to do that for everybody. But maybe it's just so uh, ridiculous when you see pitcher after pitcher that, like, at some point you're just sort of reacting and you don't play that game of like, you know, oh, he did this, so he's going to do this. You're just sort of reacting, but maybe seeing the same guys over and over and over again gets you like juices you to like veteran status. Where like David Ortiz is like, apparently, was the savant at like, oh, here comes a fastball. Oh, no, breaking ball comes. You know what I mean? Like here comes a breaking ball. So like, uh, that's a, a skill that veterans have where they can kind of anticipate what pitch is coming next, and maybe facing the same guy actually makes you a little better at that. But in general, I agree with you. I think that um, there's some people that just struggle in the first half this year because they haven't seen live pitching in a year, uh, especially people that weren't at the alternate site. So I'd say say we'd see a lot of people that weren't at the alternate site that will be traded that may have better second halves. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I, I never really thought about the number of adjustments you'd make as a result of facing the same pitchers over and over and over again. I mean the the value of that exercise would ride entirely on how many adjustments the pitchers were making. If, if you had pitchers that weren't trying <laughs> Maybe to Maybe how good things, the pitchers were, right? <laughs> right. Like if you're facing good pitchers repeatedly who can make all the adjustments, that probably does have some value. If you're facing a lot of bad pitchers or just pitchers who were not either being instructed to make adjustments or simply weren't doing it on their own, then you were just getting reps and kind of going down that staleness path. So I would say even the, the mileage of, of that might vary from, organization to organization and even player to player depending on who they were matching up with most frequently. Uh, Let's talk about the Byron Buxton situation because this is pretty interesting. Ken Rosendahl had a story about it. The offer from the Twins is supposed to be pretty similar to what Aaron Hicks got from the Yankees a few years ago. Apparently, the team's latest offer to Buxton is in excess of the $70 million that the Yankees gave to Hicks. It makes sense because Buxton's a couple years younger now than Hicks was at the time that he signed his extension. I think it is an interesting comp just because Hicks had a lot of injuries, took a little time to get to the level he reached a couple seasons ago. Obviously, both are good defensive, great defensive center fielders, so that sort of makes some sense. The weird thing is, if they're unable to reach an agreement, the Twins are then going to possibly flip the switch and just trade him away, be that at the trade deadline or prior to his final season of club control. Buxton is a free agent after 2022. The potential extension has a bunch of incentive clauses in it, which makes sense given the amount of time that he's missed. I guess I'll just put it to you this way. If you were calling the shots in Minnesota, would you be more inclined to push for the extension with Buxton based on what we've seen kind of going back to 2019 now with his offensive development or would you be more inclined to try and trade him
2: now and, and see if you can get some more young talent back into the organization? I think I do want his next uh, three or four years pretty badly. If you look, his uh, sprint speed has not fallen off. So athletically, um, you know, when he's in there, he's still elite. Uh, he's He hasn't fallen out of the top 1% of the league in sprint speed, as an example. Um, and then at the same time, his learned skills, like sort of... Uh, the the learned uh, facet of baseball is nearing a peak in terms of like looking at his barrel percentage. He used to hover at 3 to 5%, went uh, to 8% in 2019, 14% in 2020, and 21% this year. And uh, his max EV mimics that. He kind of was a 110 guy. And then uh, the last three years, it's 114, 112, and 116. So um, he's definitely unlocked something in his swing um improved his strikeout rate so like he's he's learning the game really well and yet he's elite defensively so i think i want his next 3 years pretty badly and i might be willing to pay for his next 6 years to get the next 3 years um and on top of that you have the possibility that he doesn't cost as much um as someone as anybody else with his sort of upside because of all the injuries um, that's definitely going to have to. That's gonna think, uh, despite the fact that some of those injuries are just hit by pitches and freak and this and that, um, just you just have the fact that he's never played uh, more than 500, 511 plate appearances. His peak, his average season um, is you know even if you account for twenty twenty, his average season is about two or three hundred plate appearances. So that might give you a discount, and then one of those years you get the full. 700, you know, 650 plate appearance Byron Buxton experience, which I think could be MVP level. That's the kind of skill that he has. Where if he put 650 plate appearances together with a 18% barrel rate and that 30 plus uh, feet per second sprint speed, I mean, you're talking about an elite center fielder uh, with. You know, I, I'm not saying that he's a perennial MVP candidate because there is this sort of sliding thing that's happening where. He's getting older and learning the game, but then the athleticism is gonna to have to fall off. But I do think he could win an MVP. That's how skilled he is. So if you get him for a uh, hundred million, I, I say do it. yeah
1: 100 million for six years and again you can tack on some performance incentives if he stays healthy and he's playing really well you're happy to give him the extra money in that case yeah. because he's healthy and productive and your team's probably doing very well. I would agree with the MVP sort of ceiling i think in ken's piece he suggested an eight to ten war type season right like a peak bets peak trout type year i don't know if he's gonna have multiple years like that but i think even just a normal healthy buxton season like a good healthy buxton season would probably come out to be like a four to five win type year the defense is that good the offense has come a long way i think there are some pretty clear limitations in terms of what he's going to do with his obp right he's Never drawn a ton of walks. He's probably not going to change his plate discipline so much where we're talking about a guy that's going to be a 350, 360 OBP guy. But the bat has him at 278, 330, 565 for the rest of the season. The bat acts. Yeah, you
2: want a 900 OPS center fielder, like elite defensive center fielder? Yeah, you do.
1: Yeah, that's definitely (laughs) worth extending for the long haul. So I'd definitely be on the side that wants him to stay and would definitely look at this team and say, They've got a lot of guys that are coming off the books who are short term deal guys anyway. The core is actually pretty good here. I mean, like many teams, they don't have as much pitching as you'd want. The situation is like this Jose Barrios and Taylor Rogers are also free agents after 2022. So they're on the same contract cycle as Buxton. You've got Nelson Cruz, Anderson Simmons, Michael Pineda, Jay Happ, Alex Colomay, and Hansel Robles all expiring at the end of the year. Those guys, most of those guys will probably get traded between now and the end of the month. Just on the twins having a lost season but you have alex kirilov you have trevor Larnack, you still have donaldson signed to a long-term deal you got one year more year of sano you get the possibility of extensions with buxton barrios and rogers you got royce lewis coming back from a torn acl so you've got plenty of talent and this is still to me one of the more soggy is the wrong word um spongy divisions in the league i feel like you can you can make a lot of so- moves <laughs> soggy's not fair soggy's too gross spongy it's the spongy division you Gettable. can bounce around yes winnable it's a more yeah. winnable division than most that's the right word use the right word <laughs> podcast host <Spongy. laughs> I tried to describe the division the way you describe beers
2: no but there's there's also just um i think it's awkward in terms of rebuild like uh, who like the who's the sort of bellwether for a rebuild, Kepler? Like, who would you trade that would actually get you a lot back that would be good for you in the future? Like, yeah, you could trade Berrios, and but I don't know, it'd just be one year, right? So, it's that's not the kind of deal that gets you like the sale deal where you get Moncada, you know what I mean? Like, the kind of revitalizing deal. Um, I don't think you get that for anybody unless you sort of package. Barrios and Kepler to somebody, you know, like maybe the Red Sox, uh, and then they give you, you know, Duran and I don't you know, like I don't know, Casas and a pitcher or something. I don't know. Like I, I'm sort of, t- but I'm saying, if you don't do that, uh, I think it's a lot easier to be like, hey, we have a pretty good team for 2022. We're gonna have a, some money to spend, so we can spend it on that sort of one-year pitcher thing or the two-year pitcher thing, right? And if we had a better pitching staff and the same offense, we would be a contender. They have Mm -hmm. one of the best offenses in the big leagues. And I think it can survive losing Nelson Cruz because you move Sano over. Now you play Larnok and Kirilov every day, right? Uh, You move Sano to DH, um, and, uh, there's an opening at first for either, you know, just a real, like, like CJ Krohn, <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, or you kind of rotate your, your outfielders through there. If Buxton's healthy, then Larnock or killing Kirilov, Kirilov is playing first base, you know? Yeah. Uh, I think Kirilov actually played first base in my league. So, you know, I think that, um... I think that uh, they have the personnel to lose Nelson Cruz. They should invest all that money into pitching, and I think they should just go for it again next year. Um, and then you know maybe sign Barrios long term, or you know maybe there's other there's other options of uh, of what to do. And I don't think you can get see at the trade deadline. You have people who are more desperate, and they know they're gonna they know they're going to the playoffs, and so they'll pay a little bit more uh, for something because they know they're going to the playoffs. So I think the difference between selling Barrios before his final year and selling Barrios in the, at the trade deadline uh, in his expiring deal is actually not that much. An interesting way to think
1: about it. I also think, though, the other part of all of this is for Barrios, like you need pitching long term. Clearly, you don't have enough. As yeah, I mean, you could right extend now. him for sure. I think extending him makes a lot of sense. Is is he the type of pitcher, especially, that you feel better about on a longer-term deal, right? I mean, the command is pretty good. The pitch mix is deep enough. It's not a power approach. He's not good because of velocity, necessarily. So I, I could see Barrios actually aging reasonably well. And I think he fits as a guy that you would want to give possibly like a four-year deal to, to keep him around as a fixture in that rotation for a while.
2: Yeah, I mean, the one question that I have is that he hasn't really developed a new pitch um, while he's been there. And um, I just wonder if like a slider or cutter would be good. And I wonder um, why he hasn't necessarily developed a a slider or cutter. Now, it could just be that there's something about his release or the way that he pitches that just doesn't uh, lend itself to it. And he's tried. Um, I know that I've heard you know, he's talked about trying to have two shapes on his curveball. So I don't think he's uncoachable, but that's the question. I think the only question I'd have is, does he have enough pitches, uh, to, to kind of be, to kind of spread it out and take advantage of his command? You know what I mean? Like, does he, he only has three pitches. So, you know, is he gonna, is he gonna have, uh, you know, is he going to be able to develop that, that slider cutter that he might need, uh, when he's a little bit older, um, that might be something they would know internally better than we can tell from the outside. Um, and that might be actually, I think a, a fairly big decision, a fairly big sort of, um, point to debate in whether or not you should extend him. Cause pe- people can add pitches and have more pitches last longer. I mean, look at Zach Greinke.
1: A lot more adjustments you can make, and you can withstand velo dipping off. Even if velo is not critically important for Barrios right now, it's still important. It still matters. You lose that. Got fewer go to pitches you have, more
2: off. the more velo matters. I mean, that's like that is researched and almost can write it in stone.
1: Last twins question for you: Just thinking about pitching and and Wes Johnson and what they've accomplished in the last couple of years as an organization as a group. Do you still view them as at least an above-average organization for developing pitching talent? Because they do have a couple of younger guys, Duran and uh, Blazevich, and and maybe maybe there's a little help coming from them. I think Duran's got an elbow injury right now, but do you still view them as a a good destination? Can they be the kind of team that goes out and, and plays it cheap in free agency or trades for someone who just hasn't unlocked anything? Can they actually be that organization that gets that extra mileage out of arms?
2: I mean their reputation took a took a big hit this year. I don't think if they had in pitching this year, they'd still be in it. And you know they failed with Hap, um, who was succeeding in Yankee Stadium like a you know a year ago. Um, they haven't also really developed a young guy since Burrios. It's fair. I mean, we're kind of waiting. They they had, you know, some of these guys come up and be competent in sort of short stints, but then none of them have really popped and been like, okay, now you're a member of the starting rotation. Right. I mean like Duffy and Rogers in the
1: bullpen, I think you could probably say those guys are are success stories. Sure. But you should have been able to develop one of those guys as a starter.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And like I mean, let me just look at their depth chart. Um I was try, I was trying to think of some of their who they're like the low velocity like Lewis Thorpe, you know those guys weren't ever going to be good so the like ever going to be aces so the fact that you know Lewis Thorpe has you know given them some innings is okay you know the fact that Randy Dobnak who was a you know an independent league signing uh, has given them some innings is okay uh, but the fact that Maeda and Hap dropped off um, and the fact that none of the Nobody else that was like actually like maybe a top rounder, you know, like an actual first or second or third round pitching um, draft pick. None of those guys has popped yet. I think we
1: could probably look at Bailey Ober as a guy that's a a positive development story though, right? I mean, the early results at the big league level still leave something to be desired, but level to level, he was great in the minors and was a 12th round pick. So maybe they got something there.
2: And, and I and I like I'm saying I'm, I'm not changing my opinion completely. Um, let me see here: Bailey Ober, 94 stuff plus 117 command plus. Uh, he fits uh, something we were looking for later uh, in the show. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, they took a guy who uh, doesn't have uh, that much raw stuff and took advantage of his command um, and uh, his four pitch mix and have coached him up and, and have done well with him. So uh, congrats on that. Uh, I'm not going to change my opinion of uh, some of the members at front office completely yet. And so I do think they have it in them. Uh, but this year was the first year I was kind of like a little disappointed in their, in their pitching program. Yeah.
1: It's going to be a very big stretch between now and Opening day of 2022 to see what they're able to do with this roster, who stays, who goes, and which players they take some chances on as they try and get back into the mix in uh, 2022. Okay, you know, let's get to a couple other news-related items. The start of the second half of the Yankees and Red Sox was supposed to take place on Thursday night. It was a standalone game. Unfortunately, multiple positive COVID tests for the Yankees led the league to postpone that game. The status of Friday's game at the time of this recording still somewhat up in the air, though. I thought I saw a couple rumblings that they expect to be able to play, so we'll see if that actually holds
2: why I'm getting a uh, test today.
1: (laughs) Right. Yes. So I I think it was, I think it's one of those things that we, we probably started to take for granted in the last couple of weeks as we moved around a little bit. I mean, I I made a trip out to California, as people know, looking for a place to live and just thinking about it, getting home. It's like, yeah, that was, that was as many people and places and exposures as I've had in a long time. And, uh, you can be as safe about it as you want. You're still just putting yourself in a in a different sort of environment. And I never thought about the All-Star game being a temporary just petri dish of, of all these people coming from all these different organizations. You've got these procedures in place. You've got your routine sort of hammered out as a team right now. You know, some teams have reached that 85% cutoff for vaccination. A lot haven't. Uh, so you kind of felt like, okay, the league's in a in a comfortable place right now. The All-Star game was exactly the kind of thing that could lead to a surge in tests. You have people going home. You have people seeing each other who haven't seen each other. So I guess we shouldn't really be surprised by this. But it's just another reminder that, yes, we are still playing baseball in a Uh, pandemic. And, yeah, we're still going to have a few setbacks probably between now and the end of the season.
2: Yeah, yeah. And they played, uh, you know, it's like the main thing, you know, for me, my interaction with players is always outside. Uh, I know that there were some people that talked to them in, uh, after the game downstairs, I wasn't going to take part in that. Uh, but I was happy, uh, that my interactions were outside and that I didn't interact with any Yankees. But if you were on the American league team, you're in the same clubhouse as, mm-hmm. uh, people from opposing teams, which doesn't really otherwise happen. So, um, uh, shout out to anybody, everybody who came to the meetup. Uh, that was fun. Um, and out mostly outside. <laughs> um, and shout out to the uh, people that shouted at me um, at the <laughs> in the media uh, area. Uh, I too would have been like, like would have enjoyed having a beer with you, but I was uh, unfortunately had to work at that time. <laughs> Tough break. Um, there were some uh, rates and barrels listeners that we saw, so uh, it was uh, it was pretty cool uh, being out there. But I'm uh, yeah, I'm sorry for. What it's gonna to do to the sport, there's definitely gonna be uh some ramifications from it. Um, hopefully they won't be too bad. Also, I feel bad uh for the Yankees because they were one of the 85% teams um that were 85% vaccinated, um, and they've now had their second outbreak uh this year. The good news is, you know, I prefer to see it as this. I've seen some people be like, oh, this means the vaccine's no good. I prefer to see it as this. It means the vaccine is pretty good. Most of the uh, players on the Yankees that have gotten um, COVID uh, have been non-symptomatic uh, uh, because the uh, the vaccine uh, is most effective actually at preventing hospitalizations. It is most preve- uh, effective at presenting uh, at preventing the sort of worst case scenario for people, um, and it's not actually you know going to ensure that you never get it. Um, and so, uh, you know, I think historically the Yankees, even among the people who've tested positive, only one of them was symptomatic that had, had the vaccine and was symptomatic. And, right. uh, there have been some, that have been some symptomatic that didn't have the vaccine. And then there was the large part where people who'd had the vaccine and were asymptomatic would not have known that they were positive in any way if they weren't tested as often as baseball players. Um, so in this way, I think baseball can show us a little bit um, about what the vaccine means, what the vaccine can do for us, what it can't do for us, um, and what the future of living with this um, disease is. You know, um, We won't, in our lives, get tested as often as baseball players. <laughs> um, yeah. So there's a chance that you vaccinated people out there have have been COVID positive since you've been vaccinated. Right. You didn't Uh, feel bad. You you didn't really notice. Or maybe you
1: had very, very like ignorable types of symptoms. Right. Maybe you felt like you had a cold or something. didn't think anything of it.
2: So um, it's upsetting, but also I think a window into the future, you know, Um, and uh, gives us uh, data. I'm sure this I'm sure this is data that like the CDC can actually incorporate because there's very few other populations that are tested as often as baseball players. So um, you get a better sense of, of how effective it is uh, as a vaccine and, you know, sorry for the Yankees and Red Sox and uh, Yankees fans in particular, because the Yankees really need to get going. They really need to, you know, burst out of this, out of the gate in the second half. And it's going to be tough if they're down a couple of relievers, um, you know, to do so. So, um, not not great timing for the Yankees. Maybe one of those kind of uh, the universe is conspiring against us type seasons. <laughs> yeah, definitely
1: not something that we expected to see from a team that had reached that uh, tier one group of 85% vaccination for sure. Uh, The other subplot of that game being postponed was that it debuted the arrival of Jaron Duran for the Red Sox. He was scheduled to play his first big league game on Thursday. If Friday's game happens, it should happen on Friday. Uh, Duran is an interesting player, though, you know, because we've talked about him, I think, before on this show. At the alternate site last year, he unlocked a lot more power. I think most of us heard about that and said, that's great. Let's see what happens when he's playing in games. And what happened when he played in games this year? He showed, yeah, that power is for real. He's actually hit more home runs at AAA in 46 games this season than he did at all of his minor league stops in the previous two minor league seasons combined. So we have a guy that has power, he has speed, has pretty good plate discipline. The K rate has increased as he's moved up and, and with the added power. So there's a little bit of a trade-off there, but I think that's a trade-off you'd absolutely make. And I think as I look at the projections for Duran, we know there are some limitations with projections for players about to debut, even more so when there's no 2020 minor league numbers to factor in, and even more so when a player made pretty massive changes in that non-existent 2020 season. So, What do you expect from Jaron Duran? How does he compare to other players that have been called up this season, and even to Jared Kelnick, who's going to get his second spin against big league pitching starting on Friday?
2: I think the floor is is lower and the ceiling is higher than someone like Kelnick because um, as you can see with that variability in the strikeout rate uh, I think sometimes I really like in like looking at the different projection system and and seeing sort of a range of possible outcomes within them and if you look at you know Steamer for example there's more of a 22% strikeout rate which would be an improvement from what he's done in AAA and that might reflect the fact that um, you know historically AAA strikeout rates are pretty close to major league strikeout rates, and this is a player who's also had lower strikeout rates than lower minors. However, I see that explosion in strikeout rates and tend to kind of hew a little bit closer to the bat X, which gives him a 27% strikeout rate. So there's a big difference between a 27% and 22% strikeout rate. Um, the 22% strikeout rate, you're talking about a guy who could be a plus in batting average. At 27%, um, you're more talking about a guy who might hit 230 or 240 with power and speed. Either way, the speed uh, is what uh, fantasy owners will, will will gravitate towards. I think the everyday role is what separates him from somebody like Vidal Brujan, which we've already sort of seen is kind of stuck in that up and down. Maybe what happens when Margot and, and Kiermaier are both healthy kind of. Um, not sure how often he plays Duran seems up to play there's uh, already talk of Christian Arroyo playing some first base which means Enrique Hernandez is playing more second base which means Duran is mostly their everyday center fielder for a while uh, that could change if he if he fizzles out um you know this is a a contending team they can always uh move move things back towards uh the way they've been playing uh, but they're going to give him a real shot at playing everyday i think
1: you almost wonder if they're giving him a, a two-week look to decide if they want to trade for one more bat. And if that's a first baseman or a second baseman, they shuffle people around. That based explains on the timing. What yeah. they can get. Yeah, because you get this look at him. You say, okay, yeah, he's holding his own. We feel good about this. I mean, they've got plenty of flexibility with some of the, the bench pieces they have there. But Kike has been a better defender in center field than I realized. I think it was in that Buxton piece that Ken Rosenthal wrote where I saw... Uh, defensive run saved like I, that was not something I expected to see Kike Hernandez among the league leaders in among center fielders but I think yeah Duran does everything he can be their best option in center field on an everyday basis I do like him a bit more than Bruhan, a bit less than Kelnick even though that speed could give him a little more short-term fantasy appeal than Kelnick uh, if they're both available I think I'd be inclined to still go after Kelnick first but they're both going to be pretty big bid guys, even with Kelnick's struggles at the end of his last stint in Seattle.
2: Wow. Enrique Hernandez, even by outs above average, uh, ranks as equivalent or slightly better than Trent Grisham. Uh, Mark Canha.
1: Yeah. Not
2: expected at all. Not for me anyway. Yeah. that's a Just because he
1: moves around so much. I don't expect someone who moves leader. around that much to generally be that good at a and premium plus, position. Like,
2: was playing a little bit more second base for the Dodgers, you know. More mm-hmm. kind of more of an infielder it seemed, although he did play some outfield there too. But, um, yeah, the, uh, yeah, it's to know it's to know what to do at the trade deadline. I agree with that, for sure. Got a bunch
1: of questions that came in in the last couple of weeks. Trying to answer as many of those as we can over the course of these episodes. This one is related to the All Star Game being at Coors Field. Abe was wondering if he should be worried about. All-star pitchers in their first post-coors outing because of the impact it can have on a pitcher's stuff. Any thoughts on that? I mean, we've got pitchers that throw there all the time and then go on to pitch somewhere else. And I never, I never look at the schedule and say, I'm not using this guy because he was in Colorado. Is that something we should be mindful of?
2: Um, the... I think I think the effect would be primarily to command. I know that Urquidy had a drop-off of stuff, but he's had the shoulder issues. And when I just try to think about it logically, what happens at Coors is your pitches move less. And then the next start after, your pitches move more. I think then the biggest impact would be on command, right? Like you're trying, you think it's going to be one place and instead it's another place. Um, So I think in the end, what the writer wrote about it just being one inning means I wouldn't be really worried about any of them because it's just one inning and they mostly probably went in there and just tried to throw as hard as they could for an inning, right? (laughs) I mean, that's what you see is Otani throwing hundreds up there and, and for the most part, people just throwing hard and just getting three outs, so... Um, I just can't imagine that their command will be uh, completely affected. But, you know, if you pitch nine innings there, uh, and then in your next start out, you'd be like, whoa, yeah, my curveball moves again.
1: Yeah, I mean, 20 pitches or less probably doesn't take a long time to sort of recalibrate from an outing like that. So I would err on the side of not being too concerned about it either. But it would be interesting to see, especially with the, the command plus metrics that you have, if there are consistent drop-offs for those guys leaving Coors, making that next start somewhere else, and, and how long it takes to get it back. If it takes a start or two or three, probably only takes one, but just how much of a drop is it? And maybe it's more like mid-pack starters that we'd be more careful with. We're not going to take an ace and not use him because his last start came in Colorado. But Abe ended that email with, thanks for always helping me with overthinking. It's, like, ah, it's, it's part of the gig. That's what we're all... <laughs> We're all overthinking everything <laughs> all the time. This is the
2: podcast of overthinking.
1: <laughs> it, it really is. I got an email here from Tim who wanted to know if anyone had figured out which baseballs were used during the Derby. Of course, we know that those were not humidor baseballs, so a little extra life there. But did anybody ever figure out like what batch the Home Run Derby baseballs came from? No.
2: No. Um, I- I wasn't allowed to touch those or get any more close. I mean, it's the, it's a zoo, dude. I mean, the one thing I would say is it's fun. Uh, It's fun to see people uh, that you don't see that often. Um, It's fun to congregate. It's fun to do these events. Um,
0: uh,
2: I uh, I ended up, so uh, after the All-Star Game, I don't think I've told you the story yet. Uh, so after the All Star Game, um, I I I hoof it over to Bierstadt because they have a uh, a slow pour pills which is amazing. It was so good, uh, and they they were closing at ten. So I'm like running out of the All Star Game, <laughs> running past people. I get over there, I get the slow pour pills, and it's closing at ten. So I'm like, I guess I'm just gonna go home after this. Um, and I get I, I'm texting with uh, Trevor Plouffe. Um, and he's like, oh yeah, we're going back to the house. Come back to the house with us. And I'm like, all right. Uh, so as I'm leaving, there's a scooter there. I jump on the scooter, um, and I'm driving the scooter, waiting for the address to the house from Ploof. When he gives it to me, it's pretty far. <laughs> it's like 18 minutes by car. Um, but it's I'm like, like
1: 45 plus by scooter, on then, the isn't scooter it? I'm scooter
2: anyway. I'm just going to do it. (laughs) And and there was plenty of opportunities to, you know, this is the the thing that's so sad about this, is that there was plenty of opportunities to undo my wrong decision. You know, there was at any moment I could have gotten off. I passed other areas with bars. At any moment, I could have gotten off of the scooter and called a lift. You know, there were open bars. I could have gone into a bar and had a beer while I'm waiting for my lift. You know, like, like. (laughs) <laughs> plenty of ways to undo this dumb decision but instead i was like well i'm halfway there you know." so anyway the last third was along the street called colorado street which is like a four to six lane thing with no bike lane <laughs> and i'm kind of like i'm on this scooter late at night i don't have any reflective gear on there's no bike lane. I'm kind of sitting here with cars, driving like, on my scooter, going 15 on my scooter. i like, this is dangerous. I'm going to get on the sidewalk, which I tried to avoid with the scooter. I tried to be a good scooterer, and I does not generally on the sidewalk, but I was like, it's late at night. I, I want to be on the sidewalk. So I'm driving along on the sidewalk, and bam, I run into a car. A, a car was turning into a strip mall and didn't check the sidewalk because why would you check the sidewalk? And I'm on the ground bleeding. Uh, I, I'm i bleeding from my knee. I feel like I've sprained my ankle. My head hit something. My bag is on the ground next to me. The scooter's on the ground next to me. And this woman gets out of the car and is like, what are you doing there? I had to ride away! And she's just like yelling at me. And I'm like, lady... I know it was my fault. Can you just give me a second? Let me unravel myself. Like, please. And she's still yelling at me as I get up. Like, she's still yelling at me. I I can't believe I didn't get a a phone call from her last Mm -hmm. night. I'm going to pay for the dent in her car. There's a little dent in her car. So this was like, ended up being like, probably like something like a $500 scooter ride. (laughs) <laughs> and I show up finally, like, 35 minutes later to the John Boy house party, and I'm just bleeding <laughs> and limping <laughs> and just ragged. Uh, and uh, at least it made for an okay story for the, for the John Boy people, <laughs> but uh, my wife was not uh, super proud of me.
1: This might be our public appeal to make sure that I uh, am included in future All-Star game travels this year. <laughs> it wasn't going to work for different logistics, you know, but it's it... just
2: get a damn lift. Yes.
1: Right. Yes, right I, I would have been are. the the little the little voice on the shoulder actually saying the good thing. Like I'm not getting on a scooter. I'm not taking a scooter 45 minutes to this party. I let's, took a
2: scooter let's get a scooter. 45 minutes in Denver, dude. And you
1: dented some lady's car. Like that's just...
2: Oh my god.
1: Well, see when when you said Scooter at the beginning of the story, and you had not told me the story before. That's why my reaction, if you're watching on YouTube, was my face was hilariously red. I was laughing so hard. I thought you don't have any visible injuries on the upper on half. your on your face. <laughs> so I thought, okay, like you didn't have the unfortunate Jason Colette scooter experience. Oh my
2: god, Colette was in my in my head the whole time. <laughs>
1: You took a silver medal like from, from <laughs> fantasy silver scooter metals. stories.
2: Jason, dude, I love you, Jason. Sorry. I hope yeah. no
1: one ever tops Jason's because oh, that was one of the scariest
2: accidents oh, I've ever
1: seen God. the results of. I didn't see it happen, of course, but yeah. he was in rough shape. All I
2: got was basically like a half dollar raspberry on my knee and uh, very hurt pride. And now I have um, a very annoyed uh, phone acquaintance. Um <laughs> Just waiting for you to pay for the Every dent in the car. Every time she calls me, she's like, I don't have time for this. And I'm like, yeah, well, my knee doesn't feel great either, but. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of car did you hit? Uh, apparently a new one.
1: Oh, just a new she, she one. She tells me. I don't know. Uh, I mean, that'd be pretty. I'm trying to put myself in the position of this person driving a car and like turning into a parking lot and having someone smash
2: a scooter into my car in the dark. I, that I would be can understand pretty scary. being annoyed. But yeah, that'd be that'd be a little annoying. She also too. just moved to Denver, so maybe uh, scooters weren't as much of a thing as where she's from. But in general, other than that, I loved scootering, dude. It like I saw this vision <laughs> of cities in the future where we close down the centers and the car parts, like the, the 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 roads are for scooters and people can walk on the sidewalks. Like it was pretty awesome. Like I my hotel to the All Star Game was like a mile. And I could have done that and arrived all sweaty and gross every day, you know, because it was pretty hot. Or I just scootered, showed up fresh as the breeze, other than the time I hurt myself.
1: I'm actually surprised you didn't end up in a breakdown, like where John <laughs> Boy like, showed you coming to the party and explained all of your injuries. Oh, there
2: were social media there that said, we need to get this up on social media stat. And I was like, ugh. Uh, legal ramifications. I don't know. Let me uh, <laughs> let me let me play out the string with this lady before I, before I start. I was like, this sounds like more like a podcast or meetup thing.
1: <laughs> well, so to answer Tim's question, uh, no, we don't know which baseballs were used in the home run derby. <laughs>
2: no, I don't know. Uh, it was a mess out there. They weren't they weren't letting us anywhere close to the balls. Uh, I think the the most nefarious thing is just to. They could have chosen between 2020 and 2021 balls. There might be um, you know, some balls flying around. So they could have used some 2020 balls. Um, but that's about it. I don't think I don't think there's any twenty nineteen balls still sitting around.
1: Well, those bonus ones are something else entirely because the cover's different on those. So who knows what Maybe those are. are. Maybe,
2: it, Maybe they are made for the home run derby. Um we saw a new record. Five hundred and eighteen feet. Yeah. From Story. Story broke the record.
1: Story, I think, has the at least the longest Rockies home run in Colorado, if I'm not mistaken.
2: And now he has the longest home run derby history, uh, uh, hitting a home run in history, 518.
1: That'll stand until next year when someone hits one like 525. I don't know,
2: man. No humidor, altitude. Denver. Yeah,
1: Denver's the tough thing yeah. there.
2: Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, they'll find a way. Anyways. <laughs> they'll extra juice the balls.
1: They'll, they'll they'll find a way. Let's
2: let's be let's be fair. They'll <laughs> give them golf balls and metal bats.
0: Let's get to a
1: couple more questions. Uh, We've got one here about Tyler Malley. Coming into the season, he was all over breakout lists, but now halfway through the season, the industry seems to have soured on him. The source of this seems to be mainly predicated on drops in spin rate and velocity since the crackdown, but considering how many pitchers have had similar drops, it feels like he's being treated harshly, especially since his skills look better than ever. Malley has a career-best 20.7 strikeout minus walk percentage, currently has a better XERA and hard hit percentage than last year. Also very intriguing according to Eno's latest rankings. He has a rare combination of a command number over 120 and a stuff number over 100 possessed by only him and Aaron Nola. In a day and age where Velo and Spin are all the rage, could Elite Command and Decent Stuff be an underrated asset? Wondering where you stand on Mali going forward, whether you still believe he's a breakout candidate and if we should be buying low uh, and apologies for the hundred million times I said Tyler Molly over the years. That was one that I just flat out had wrong. So thanks to the uh, pronunciation guide, it's Tyler Malley, and it has been corrected. Uh, what do you make uh, of of the skill set and uh, of Mally in particular? You know,
2: uh, I love it. Um, you know, the projections say he's going to be more of a four ERA guy, but um, I buy the high threes. Really nice strikeout rate. Um, You know, he has that plus command, so the walk rate should be good. I think the home run rate is a function of his park uh, more than anything. Um, I think in in any other park, he'd be easily a mid threes guy. um, And I buy in on him. And I actually think that he is part of a um, type of pitcher that can be undervalued. Um, I just sorted by command plus. There's, like you said, there's not a lot of other people that have above average stuff and that elite command plus. Um, but if you soften your definition of average um, and you talk about something that's like 110 plus uh, 110 over 110 command plus, you get some interesting names. Um, Jose Berrios, Julio Urias, Zach Gallen, John Means, um, uh, and uh, and uh, Kevin Gossman and Adam Wainwright are the veterans uh, that show us the pathway. None of them um, have ascended to kind of Jacob deGrom territory. Um, uh, well, that's unfair, maybe. I mean, <laughs> like none of them are the best pitcher in baseball. Um, but also, none of them, I, would you describe any of them as even a fantasy number one? Gossman's no. closest. Yeah, I would say he's the closest. But I think but those a, guys good pop and have a year where they're close. You know, Barrios, Barrios this year might end up in the top 15 or so. Uh, because he's just having a, a great year. But one thing that I do like about that group, they're pretty dependable. Think about Adam Wainwright, man. Dude is old as rocks. Rocks are old. He's like
1: the Camry you bought after college that you still have <laughs> 15 years later. You're like, this oh, car's still working.
2: Yeah, my Honda Fit. You were driving my Honda Fit. I bought that thing for 15K. It's a nice, it's
1: a nice little car. We
2: bought it off. In, in, I bought that 12 years ago for 15K. We, 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 we paid it off really quickly and I just took it into the, into the, uh, to get fixed for the first time in 12 years. And I spent $800 on a new belt. I spent $800 on that car in 12 years. Was it after I drove it? Before. Okay. Yeah. COVID, COVID (laughs) did a number on it because it just sat, it just sat there for a year. Um, and we had to, we had to do some stuff, but, uh, anyway, uh, that's what I think this group is, uh, is your Honda fits. Um, and in fantasy, pretty, pretty awesome to, to buy, uh, to buy there because you just don't spend that much money. You don't spend any money on Wayne, right? Gossman is one of the best bang for your buck starters in the big leagues this year. And, uh, so let's soften the definition even further because if you want to get, uh, sleepers, you. Like it's it, that there was not really much um, shopping to do in that group. The one uh, name that did actually pop at that level was Austin Voth. Uh, also not Austin Voth. Um, Austin Voth may only have a one oh two stuff plus number because he's been mostly relieving. Um, I would believe that number would drop, but he has multiple pitches and great command. Now, guys who are just around a hundred uh, that are interesting, Um, include uh, Chris Paddock, 97 Stuff Plus, 118 Command Plus. I love that one. JT Brubaker. uh, This is why he's been on these lists. Um, uh, Let's see here. Kyle Gibson actually just, and and Zach Plezak are veterans that sort of belong in this grouping. Um, But there was one more. Bailey Falter and Jordan Montgomery. Um are both guys that have one ten plus, command plus, and sort of ninety-six plus stuff plus. So there's some names for you. I, I, I did a I I put a dollar on Bailey Falter in Auto New uh, the, when I saw that. Um Jordan Montgomery, it's a little bit tougher, but Bailey Falter's in a tough park and we may all have DH's next year. And Bailey Falter may be just as good as, as Jordan Montgomery by these metrics by next year anyway. Um, so, but uh Jordan Montgomery also costs more, so Bailey Falter and Austin both are your uh let me just pick up a guy uh, on my dynasty league just in case yeah, your
1: deep, deep league sorts of targets or possible streamers in more shallow formats when the opportunities come along for those guys. So uh, thanks a lot for that Tyler Molly Malley, Tyler Malley question we got uh, one more item to get to, not an email, but just a, a news item that I thought was kind of interesting. The Tigers have decided to designate Nomar Mazzara for assignment, and they made a few other moves. They promoted Derek Hill from AAA, they uh, sent Willie Castro down, brought Isak Paredes back up, and I think we've talked about Paredes before as a guy that I think is going to hit in the long run and eventually develop a bit more power, but... Mazzara just never became the hitter, at least he hasn't yet become the hitter that I thought he would be. I thought at his peak, we'd see 25 to 30 homers, great run production, and a good batting average. And even if he was always the kind of guy that was a bad defender, maybe, uh, I don't know, like an Eloy where you're like, yeah, we got to put him out there. He's in left field. We deal with it, whatever. He plays a corner. He's a below average guy, but he hits enough. It's all worth it. I thought he'd be that kind of player. He's still young enough where it's not impossible, but I'm really curious to see a smart team actually takes the chance, or if he ends up maybe playing in Korea or Japan, or if there's some other path for him to become the player, or at least the hitter that I and a lot of other people thought he would be a few years ago.
2: Yeah, I thought he was Juan Gonzalez, but it turned out he was Eric Hosmer. Mm. You know, the the thing that uh, that I you could use old school numbers to to spot him coming. I think is just that he hit too many ground balls. And he had he had some sort of ground ball type swing that was exploitable. His his strikeout rate started going up, uh, and didn't produce. uh, He he you know max EV over 111. He just that raw power he just never really tapped into as much. He never had a good barrel rate really. Um, And uh, I saw the max EV, the low strikeout rates, and thought all he needs to do is lift the ball a little better. He had a couple seasons where he lifted it a little bit better and showed you maybe there was a a chance for him. I always think of uh, that shortened 2019 season um, as when I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. See, if you pro-rate that out, it's like a 30-homer season. He did it. He finally did it. And then, uh, you know, oh, now he's going to the White Sox. Yeah, 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 yeah. Nice home park. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not hectoring anyone, man. I, I was in love with Mazzara. I thought. I thought there was a couple of times where he was um, almost like next Winkerish, right? Because he had that twenty percent strikeout rate. Had some some like you know. Ooh, look! If he did this little better, this little better, he could really pop. Um, I saw someone say that he's that Harrison Bader is the new uh, Nomar Mazara. Um, but mm. I think there's a couple things that really separate uh Bader from Mazzara, uh, which is that uh one, Bader plays excellent, excellent center field defense. <laughs> yeah, athleticism is pretty different with those two players. Has better uh plate discipline and has uh, three barrel rate seasons out of his five so far that have been better than Mazzara ever did. So I, uh, I don't really see it. I see uh, Bader as having some issues with strikeout rate and putting together and stuff. But right now, uh, best swing strike rate of his career, best K rate of his career, uh, playing center field defense, still stealing bases. Right now, I think, is the time to pick up Bader. If you can get him, if you can trade for him. Um, I know he's only hitting two thirty four, but if he has any better batted ball luck, uh, he could end up being a 250 330 guy uh with uh twenty-five twenty type uh home runs and stolen bases.
1: Yeah. I, I like Bader quite a bit. I, I think I have become so locked in to the players that because of their defense, they keep getting more and more opportunities because you get second and third lives, right? This is this is why I will continue to make the Victor Robles mistake. This is how years ago when Brandon Crawford first became a useful fantasy player, how you would have been on the the right side of that eventually it, usually these guys are better suited for really deep like ale and only leagues and 20 team mixers but you do have to keep following them chances to play or chances to improve and with mazara he doesn't necessarily fall back on that so where he ends up is is going to be tricky
2: defensive value is also a little bit like command right it's like you know if you have it you're more likely to hit your better outcomes you know and if you don't have it, you are just more likely to hit the bad outcomes. It doesn't mean that if you have it, like Billy Hamilton has it, but he, you know, he doesn't have the other stuff. Uh, on the extremes, if you if you are just all command or all defensive value, uh, it doesn't always it doesn't always make it. But if you have some defense, I mean that's what uh, I talked to. Uh, <laughs> sorry, I just saw the video of Jason Dominguez's uh, triple. Have you seen the slide at the end? <laughs> Never seen the slide yet. <laughs> like he catches a spike and goes head over heels into third. <laughs> but he's not hurt. Um uh I talked to uh Bobby Evans, who was one of the executives that signed uh Belt Crawford and um acquired Longoria and um who is it who am I missing? Belt Crawford Posey. Uh, yeah. And he actually he shouted out defense as one of the main reasons they signed up those deals, because he said no matter what, they're going to have defensive value for you. And if their offense vacillates, oscillates, oscillates, vacillated something else, oscillates spins,
1: right? A fan oscillates.
2: I thought a pendulum oscillates.
1: Well, I will educate myself while you continue that thought. <laughs> anyway,
2: if there if if it varies around a mean of like sort of league average, um, then that's fine. Um, but they'll always have defensive value. So um I think that's growing out to be true. You know, Belt uh, Belt has been the best offensive guy, but he's he's still a good defender. He's not like anyone's talking about he needs to be the DH. Uh Longoria's still a really good third baseman, and Crawford is the oldest shortstop in baseball.
1: Yeah. Because I wrong? Still. No. You So uh, oscillate to swing or move to and fro as a pendulum does.
2: Hmm. Yeah, baby.
1: Weird. Not real happy with myself right now.
2: My chat starts now. Yep. Eno's got to go to his <laughs> chat. If
1: you'd like to join that chat, well, you can do it next week. It's going to be uh, for subscribers only. 3 nine in a month gets you in the door at theathletic.com slash rates and barrels. Gets you all the great writing we do everything on the site all the sport coverage all the national stories for baseball all the fantasy stuff fantasy football coming up for a lot of people as well so we got the draft kit that just launched earlier this week so be sure to check that out if that's your thing on twitter he's at you i am at Derek van ryper you can drop us a line rates and barrels at the athletic.com that is going to do it for this episode of rates and barrels we are back with you on monday
2: thanks for listening